Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. This weekend in Sydney, a group of concerned Christians gathered um, to talk about social justice issues for Aboriginal people. And they were gathered together by Common Grace. Common Grace is a movement of, I think, something like 40,000 people signed up who, since a mismatch, I think, between the ideal justice that's presented to us in God's world as we reflect on how, how we ought to live um, and the reality of the world around us. And I would hope that most thinking Australians, and certainly all thinking Christians, would realise that one of the big holes in the centre of Australia's heart right now uh, is our treatment of Aboriginal peoples um, over, well, all of the time of contact between European civilization and the first Australians. There are deep injustices that come from having your land taken away. There are deep injustices that come from having your wages taken away. There are deep injustices that come from having your children taken away. Auntie Jean Phillips is an Aboriginal leader, uh, a church leader, 60 years involved in ministry. Brooke Prentice is an Aboriginal leader and the Aboriginal justice spokesperson for Common Grace. And Scott Sanders joins us again as the CEO of Common Grace. What does justice look like? Auntie Jean, why don't you kick us off? Well, to me, justice looks like... Um there's got to be equality amongst all people. One of the concerns that I have for justice is that um, we in Australia, and particularly the Christian Church, knows very little about the history of this country and has not dealt with the history of this country. And Australia has not got a very good history. And some years ago I was at one of the Baptist churches here in Sydney and I was introduced to the um, the young man who was in charge of missions in that particular church. He wasn't from Australia. He was from another country. He said he was glad to meet me. And we talked about the program for that morning. But he also said he's been studying at the Sydney University. Uh, but the things that he'd heard about Australia and its relationship was with Aboriginal people, it shocked him. But he said, Aunty Jean, I want to remind you that history is going to catch up on Australia. And I believe that that's happening now in this country, maybe in a small way, but it's beginning to happen, that Australia realises that there is the First Nations people here and that it, it's history has not been very good. And there are many things are associated mm. with that history. Mm. And to make things better, there's still a lot of injustice and very little justice uh, has been created to really amend that very sad history of our nation. We'll come back to some of those themes in a minute, Auntie Jean, and I'm going to go back and ask you about your story. But let me ask Brooke Prentice, one of the movements that you're involved with, the Grass Tree Movement. It takes its name from that verse in Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah 61, verses 3 and 4. Um, they will be called trees of justice, planted by the Lord to honour his name. And then they will rebuild cities that have been in ruins for many generations. And that word justice, trees of justice, in, in other versions is translated righteousness. Yeah, oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness. Mm. So is justice a righteous path? 
Oh, absolutely. Mm. So uh, I guess uh, why that verse is, uh, that version of that verse is particularly relevant so that we can really talk about justice because Aboriginal peoples have been facing injustice in this land that we now call Australia for over 230 years uh, and how the history affects our present. Uh, so we have these past injustices that are f- still affecting us today, but we've got current injustices as well. Um, and, yeah, I just do want to say also that the grass tree gathering was Aunty Jean Phillips's v- vision to bring to us together as the next generation of Aboriginal Christian leaders, and we're grateful for um, her God-given vision to bring us together. Now, Scott, the Common Grace Movement has... Uh, how many thousands of members now around Australia? Uh, we have about 40,000. 40,000 people. So as a movement, what you want to do is uh, movements run campaigns. That's a definitional thing of a movement. So are you asking people to take action? Is that where Common Grace sort of ends ends up action that's born out of uh, their discomfort mm. at this mismatch between kingdom ideals and what's happening now? Yeah, I, I guess at the heart of it is the, the questions of faith um, find their answer through action, through living it out, not through intellectualizing it or um, uh, pursuing knowledge or understanding, but actually in, in getting engaged and getting involved and getting your hands dirty. And so when we talk about Aboriginal justice, which is, is one of the areas that um, we engage with as a movement, um, what that looks like for us is relationship. It's, it's, it's action and justice through relationship and encouraging Christians and the church um, that uh, in this land we have the most incredible Aboriginal Christian leaders uh, who have faithfully served for decades uh, the church and called this church to truth, healing and justice. What does it look like for us as the church to come alongside that and to, to sit and to yarn and to listen and to learn? But as we listen and as we learn, we realize that we need to walk away from this place and take action. And the way we take action uh, is not having these grand ideals as to what action looks like, but by following those who lead us. And in this instance, uh, for me, it's an honor to be here in the studio with Brooke and with Arnie Jean, who are two incredible Aboriginal Christian leaders who I have deep friendship and relationship with over the years who have inspired me on that journey and in, in what it actually looks like to pursue justice through action. Well, let's go a little deeper then. And uh, Arnie Jean, if I could ask you to tell us, um, tell us a, a little bit about your life. You've been in Christian ministry for, well, can I say 60 years? Correct. Yeah. Tell us about Sherberg and your experience as a child. It was an ab- one of the Aboriginal reserves there in South, uh, southeast Queensland. And um, the government had given three churches the opportunity of ministry, like for their spiritual ministries. And one was the Aborigines Inland Mission, and that was the Missionary Society that I came out of, and many other Aboriginal people too. And of course, the other two were the Anglican Church and the um, and the Catholic Church. Um, well, that's where I came to a faith in Christ. Um, my parents was involved, as well as many other older Aboriginal people who had, had been taken there to Sherberg, became Christians and became involved with that church, as well as others became involved with the other two denominations. It had one of the biggest Sunday schools in, in Queensland and the, certainly one of the biggest Christian Endeavour societies now. Many young people wouldn't remember that, but that was an interdenominational Christian uh, movement throughout Australia. And um, we had it created there at the, the Sherberg Church. It was a very strong church. 
our people, many of them were older people who were sent there from Cher- to Cherbourg from other parts of Queensland. Many of them couldn't read or write, but they were wonderful Christian people and taught us so much about life and about God and really helped us on our journey as young children. And then others came later and continued with that kind of ministries. The Aborigines Inland Mission had sent um, their missionaries there to minister to us. And we thank God for each one of them, and certainly for that missionary society. And as we look back, even though things were very difficult for us as Aboriginal people, but it was the faith that came with those missionaries and that missionary society that helped us to face all the issues in this nation and to keep us strong. And I guess there were many times when we weren't so faithful, but I think things would have been even more difficult for us for even today if we didn't have that faith and it came through that missionary society and through Christ. Indeed. It's interesting to look back and and reflect on that time and what we're presented with today, it seems to me, is something of a dilemma um, because, as you've just expressed, so many good things came from the Sherberg Mission and from the missionary societies, and yet history is revising that. And now to say mission in the context of Aboriginal peoples, in some people's minds it has a very different meaning, a meaning that's associated with, well, everything, including the stolen generations. Can you talk to me about that dilemma? Yes, well, it's uh, it's it's still there in in our community, but in our ministries today, we keep on um, hearing the frustration and the hurts from a lot of our folks um, who were taken away, and no doubt they have been very hurtful. And uh, but in our ministries, well, I'm finding it with myself and my ministry. We have got to be strong and understand. Uh, sometimes uh, we cop it, and I've copped it even in, in recent months, from people who've been taken away from their families. But um, I've just sort of accepted it. And, uh, I mean, just recently I was at an event and I was, yeah, some nasty things were said even to me, uh, but it meant for those churches that had taken our children away. But I just sat there and took it all, and I was asked to pray at that event and, the person who spoke came up and apologised. But, um, you know, we in in ministries, we've got to be very strong and not to, well, I don't feel that we should react. And because it didn't happen to me, but it happened to many other ab- Aboriginal hmm. people and the hurts, anyone taken away from, from their mother, from their parents naturally are going to be very hurt. And I suppose the missionaries and from and church leaders felt that they were doing the right thing, but obviously to some people it 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 wasn't the right thing. But it's all part of the history of this country, hmm. which needs a lot of healing and prayers and support. And um, and only God can bring this about. None of us, hmm. so missionary societies or individual, can bring about hmm. that healing and uh, that understanding of what people are hurting. 
Brooke Prentice, could I ask you to reflect on that, what I've called a dilemma, the dilemma perhaps of the modern Christian church, but in particular the Aboriginal church? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when I sit here and listen to Arnie Jean and um, many of our other Aboriginal Christian leaders uh, that have gone before me and uh, the generation that I represent, and, you know, uh, remembering that, uh, you know, they had to fight for citizenship, that they weren't treated as citizens, um, growing up on missions and reserves, um, our peoples who were removed from their families, and... uh, the fact uh, that these Aboriginal Christian leaders still can so faithfully follow Jesus, that's what inspires us as the next generations uh, as we live in a 2018 Australia. Uh, And I think, you know, as we reflect on this dilemma of the reality, you know, I call non-Aboriginal people into relationship with us and what that looks like is sitting with us in our pain, standing with us against injustice and walking Uh, with us, beside us, not in front of us and not behind us, but alongside us in truth and friendship. And I guess when I say that to non-Aboriginal peoples, they might not even actually realise what it means to be an Aboriginal ministry, that as Aboriginal Christian leaders, we are there with our community as they hurt, Uh, that there are still many people alive from the stolen generations who still have never found their families Mm -hmm. uh, and suffer that grief and trauma and the treatment from the church. Uh, And so... Uh, we, uh, you know, we love all peoples, um, but we have to show even more love um, to those peoples and just to take that posture of listening. That's what we're doing in our own communities. And so for non-Aboriginal people to engage with us as Aboriginal peoples, um, it takes, yeah, love and listening and learning and uh, wanting to come along the road with us. On Open House, our guest in the studio are Auntie Jean Phillips, an Aboriginal leader, and also Aboriginal uh, leader Brooke Prentice from the Common Grace Movement, amongst other things, and uh, also Scott Sanders from Common Grace. Auntie Jean, let's go back a little further because uh, we, we focus on the stolen generations and that's very understandable and very important we do so. But there's a, there's a source of hurt that goes much deeper than that. I, I read that you described it somewhere as a kind of um, socialised racism, which if I as I understand it, would be that when Europeans came to Australia and set up colonies, they had an idea that Aboriginal people were to be made like Europeans. Is that what you mean when you wrote socialised racism? I I think it's a a number of issues and and much much deeper than that. um, But I'm mainly saying that um, uh, the old history of this country is not being dealt with and that's what we're trying to do like through common grace and Hmm. um, encouraging churches to come on board with uh, all those issues like the theft of the land, theft of children, um, poverty racism that have all come from that history and uh, we're not really talking about that history in this country we're dealing with all kinds of other issues in relation to Aboriginal people. And we cop a lot from, with even within the Christian church, like you people get this for nothing and you get that. They don't understand our lives and they don't... One of the reasons why we're grateful to, like uh, Scott and others like this, 
and other people in, in Brisbane who have helped us to create, uh, and Melbourne too, to create the workshop or um, uh, gatherings where we can discuss these issues together and bring real solutions. Unfortunately, the government is not doing it and the Australian church is not really doing it as much as we'd like them to be able to do it. And this creates a lot of hurts and divisions between them and us. And Australia and even governments are looking for solutions with Aboriginal people. But it's there. It's there. But we're not really dealing with this old history. Well, what would you like non-Aboriginal Australians to know? Well, Dr. Peter Adam from Ridley College in Melbourne has been taking us on some talks uh, about the theft of the land is the sin of this nation. And to me, that's where it all began. We moved our people from where they were and moved them and put them onto reserves and um, some of them were, there were massacres with our people. And um, I really believe that it's only the cross and Christians that can bring real healing and real solutions to this nation. And every day I, I just pray for that because it's not really happening. Well, not at, as much as we'd like to see it happen. It should be done quicker. And there's enough Christians in this country that can make that happen. As I understand the idea of Makarata, this is um, to, to have a truth-telling which then allows you to understand the other person first. Um, so I want to ask you and Brooke, from the point of view of truth-telling, what is it to be part of, of a people's whose land was taken away? And therefore, as, I, as I'm trying to understand that, therefore your identity is unsettled. How can I understand it? Can you explain it to me? Yeah, so I think um, there's a couple of different things playing out there. Uh, the truth-telling uh, actually begins with that we have been here for over 65,000 years or 6,000 years, depending on people's theology. But And am I right in thinking that really that in terms of the Aboriginal timeline, you've been here since the beginning? That's right, yep. So, um, In the beginning? That's right. Exactly, because, you know, we get challenged sometimes from a theological perspective yep. or even a yep. scientific perspective. You know, there's this out-of-Africa theory. Yep. But in this land, we have stories of the Creator going back 65,000 years that have been passed down through over 2,000 generations. Uh, and that Creator is part of uh, the landscape of these of our over 300 nations in this land that we now call Australia. And so, uh, you know, if we'd come from somewhere else, then surely you would have brought your own story of the creator to this land. But the story of the creator is is right here in this landscape. And so there's a lot that I think Aboriginal peoples, um, and as we embrace theology and get allowed into theological colleges, there's still a long way to go. Really? <laughs> yeah, really, yep. You're yep. saying that theological colleges still have an inherent racism towards in, in, enrolling Aboriginal students? Is that what you're saying? I think it's the same as society. There's a number of different reasons. Um, there's ignorance. Hmm. There's racism. Uh, there's a belief. Um, there's an inequality. Okay, so is, is this because, Brooke, um, there is a misunderstanding perhaps about how you reconcile, oh, there's a word, how you can sit side by side Genesis 1 
mm. with the creator was with your people, Aboriginal mm. people, in the beginning. Mm. How do you reconcile that? Yeah, well, it was Uncle Graham Mundine, one of our Aboriginal Christian leaders who works with the Sydney Catholic Ministry, and at the very first grass tree, he actually said, Genesis 1 is the greatest Aboriginal dreaming story ever told. And, you know, that really spoke to me as an Aboriginal Christian, and um, it's Uncle Terry LeBlanc, one of the leading Indigenous theologians around the world, and Uncle Ray Minicon, who also said, you know, Western theologians often start at Genesis 3, but as Indigenous theologians, we always start at Genesis 1. One. Wow. And so we can't forget the creation story. And we have this beautiful gift to give to all um, Australian Christians about what that means for us in this land uh, and to pass on those stories and that our culture and uh, Christianity are compatible. Um, and not all Aboriginal Christians agree on that. Uh, and, you know, one of the other things I say is I await the day that diversity of Aboriginal opinion is something to be celebrated and not condemned. We can't all think the same. <laughs> and I think yeah, that's so part of what our, our gracious conversation is all about. A gracious conversation. You're absolutely right about that. Auntie Jean, what was it for you? Can you remember the time when you uh, were able to put together in your mind uh, that the Creator was uh, made flesh in Jesus? What was it like for you to come to that realisation as an Aboriginal woman? Well, just a simple story that Christ died for us all and um, just accepting it. Um, I don't think, I mean, there have been some Christians who may not agree with that, but others. But it, a lot of it have depended upon who came to evangelize us. As one of our pastors said, we are the most evangelized people in this country, Aboriginal people. And everybody goes after us because they feel that we are the most sinful group in this nation. So they'll go to the parks and they'll go to people like Redfern and places or where they're gathering in some place and want to evangelize them. And uh, that's that's been sad because it's also created a lot of divisions in our community and it's also has not been helpful for our ministries along the road. And so some people like Brooke and others, and Uncle um, uh, Ray Minicon, the Reverend Graham Paulson, trying to work out our own theology. And that has not been easy either because there's been a lot of criticism came from even mainline churches. Hmm. So how should we uh, express all of that? And uh, unfortunately, even in, in this nation, we get, so much criticism and knockbacks from within the Christian church. And it's only because they haven't been listening and understanding us. They've never lived their lives. But we're not going to be up there fighting against them. I just feel that my role is trying to build bridges and educating them and coming on the journey. Everyone's not going to do it, but we thank God for those who are coming on that journey with us. As we all speak here, I think we're struggling, aren't we, to put it together. It's a really interesting conversation. Maybe that's the whole point, mm. that the conversation is worth having. And it's a conversation that kind of that probably started with, in fact, I know from what I've read, what Stuart Piggin and others have been writing recently, it started with the idea that when the first fleet came here, they brought the Bible and they would evangelize this part of the world. 
but maybe they came also with some cultural, sorry, they certainly came with a cultural understanding that a Christian was someone who looked a bit like them. Is that one of the things we have to heal? Uh, I think that's exactly one of the things that we need to talk about. And I say we don't have enough conversation um, in this land. And that's, you know, the purpose of what we're doing even here on the radio, having a conversation. And, you know, some uh, non-Aboriginal Christians even get that a bit mixed up. At least you said that the Europeans brought the Bible. Many non-Aboriginal Christians will say to me, but uh, the Europeans brought Jesus. Mm. And so we have to have a conversation mm. about that mm. Mm. Uh, because it's not as straightforward to that no, as that. No, certainly not. And uh, absolutely brought the Bible. And, you know, one of the things I say is I've never quite understood non-Aboriginal Christians' uh, fascination with uh, excluding Jesus from the story. So very comfortable to have Holy Spirit and create a God. But when Jesus comes into the story, um, did Aboriginal people know Jesus? And, you know, there are stories out there. Uh, we have language for Jesus uh, in Aboriginal languages. Wow. Um, so that's existing before Europeans. So, it, well, you mean in the way that we would um, look to the Old Testament and look for look for the passages that speak of his coming? Mm. There are you're saying there are dreaming stories about what someone who would come to bring salvation. Uh, well, the name of Jesus, yes, and that there's language for Jesus in Aboriginal uh, nations, and so you know it's all about this truth telling and how we tell yeah, this yeah. truth, and where our education system, where well, that's the the actual true history, is only now just starting to be told. So when we look at it as the Christian church, there's a whole story of um, Christianity in this land that we've got to talk about as well. So is this what people mean when they say, as Auntie Jean just said a moment ago, there's a developing Aboriginal theology? Yeah, I don't. I don't actually describe it as an Aboriginal theology. That is how people um, describe it. Because for me, it's just theology. Theology. It's about yeah. how we come together as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Aboriginal peoples in a theology context to talk about these concepts. Hmm. And I think you know the important thing um, for us, and you know, Annie Jean's already said about how. It's the cross that brings us together. The cross has the answers. Uh, Jesus is such a huge story, and he's a huge part of the healing that's needed in this land. Uh, and Aboriginal peoples, um, you know, I think all of us cling so tightly to Jesus, and that's those all of the injustice that we face. Jesus is sometimes the only thing we have to cling on to, uh, and the hope for our peoples, um, for uh, relationship both broken and establishing a relationship between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples and eventually healing for this land. Our guests are Brooke Prentice, Auntie Jean Phillips and Scott Sanders. We're talking about how to heal this land. It starts with listening and understanding, trying to do a lot of that in this conversation. Um, in a moment, let's find out what the cross actually means, how the cross makes it possible for us to move forward together. You're listening to Open House Around Australia. On Open House, uh, a special tonight, special conversation about healing Australia, uh, healing the big hole in the central heart of Australia, I've sometimes thought of it as, and with us in the studio, Auntie Jean Phillips, Scott Sanders from Common Grace, and Brooke Prentice, the Common Grace Aboriginal Justice spokesperson. Well, Brooke, then, as an Aboriginal Christian leader, let's just start with the, where we finished a moment ago, the cross. Uh, it is the cross that brings us together, isn't it? it? It's the cross that allows all to be reconciled. And surely then that's the place we all start at the foot of the cross, mm. saying to Jesus, reconcile me with yourself, mm. with God the Creator. Now can I be reconciled with my brothers and sisters? Mm. 
That's right. And, uh, you know, I think for me that's where we've got a lot of work to do in the Australian church uh, and where Aboriginal Christians find a place in the Australian church. Do we have a place of equality or are we still pushed to the margins? Uh, and, you know, when I sit here and listen to Arnie Jean's stories and um, the Aborigines Inland Mission and uh, those movements and those um, Aboriginal Christian leaders that went before her, uh it sounds like Aboriginal ministry was flourishing, uh, whereas today, you know, we're facing our Aboriginal churches being closed down, our ministries are underfunded as well as unfunded. Um, this isn't government funding. This is by the church yeah, funding that yeah, we're talking yeah. about. Uh, and there's um, a lot we need to do to create equality and, and a place for Aboriginal Christian leadership in the Australian church. And, you know, that's I'm so grateful for Annie Jean for bringing together Aboriginal Christian leaders because um, the churches weren't bringing us together. And as Aboriginal peoples also, we know how to work ecumenically across the different denominations um, and not let our theological differences or church cultural practice differences get in the way of building relationship mm. with one another. And I think that's a beautiful gift we can give to the Australian church. And, you know, it's the cross that jumps congregation and denomination and race and class, all of those things. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's so hard to for with non-Aboriginal Christians to even get them away from their own congregation to come and build broader relationship. <laughs> and that really fascinates me how we build community because uh, as Aboriginal people, we know how to do community and we gather together all the time. Um, but it means that you don't just stick to your little patch like uh, and, you know, even within a congregation, you can have the evening service um, and the morning service and never shall they meet or even have a cup of tea together. Uh, so, you know. Well, it's something about the way we organise society, but it's it's not necessarily the best way. Scott, it's really interesting to have you here as part of this conversation because Common Grace is that sort of movement that does exactly as Brooke was saying. It brings people together. Mm. Is that why Common Grace puts such an emphasis on this? Yeah, I mean, if we think about... Um gathering at the foot of the cross, uh, the foot of the cross is a place of grace, um, uh, ultimate, abundant grace, life given, um, that life may be received. Um, and I'm deeply moved um, by my Aboriginal Christian friends and the Aboriginal Christian leaders in this country who have taught me so much about grace in their example and in their relationship and in their generosity and in their humility, knowing the disadvantage, knowing um, the injustice, um, knowing the systemic racism um, that is pitted against them, um, their hand has been extended. And I, I um, uh, am on a journey of holding that hand and learning what that friendship looks like. Um, but when we think about grace uh, and we think about generosity and we think about the power of vulnerability as the gospel message. I think of the, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes um, and I think of uh, blessed are those who mourn and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and for justice. Uh, those who make peace um, are those who are persecuted. Um, you know, the, the idea that the first shall be last um, when we think of the words of Jesus um, uh, in this country, um, the way our society functions, the way disadvantage exists, uh, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters are last. They're placed at, um, at the back of the line, um, and it's there that they are closest to the grace of God. And their encounter 
with the grace of God, has so much to teach us. Um, not to mention their connection to land. Um, uh, what I've learnt about um, uh, my own connection to creation from my Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters is I've learnt more about God in, in creation. Um, and to bring back that idea of common grace is that God is there. If we look around it, we'll see the grace of God in all things. Mm. Um, and we're called to respond to that um, uh, and to respond to that generously. Uh, respond to that beauty. And when we see injustice, we respond by confronting that injustice, but doing so without compromising humility and generosity and grace in our actions as well. Well, if justice does indeed mean righteousness, and if I've been saved by Jesus so I can be reconciled, and then should go and seek justice in the community because of that. These are the ideas the cross brings to me. Then, Auntie Jean, how should I live so that I can be part of a just and righteous society um, in which the, the needs of my Aboriginal brothers and sisters are properly taken account of? How, how should I live? What, what should I be doing to change? How can I be part of the solution? Hmm. Well, I think it's important to get to know more Aboriginal people, especially Aboriginal Christians, mm. and know about their involvement with ministry. But I think, first of all, I think Christians and non-Christians to acknowledge that the land was stolen. And Dr. Peter Adams said it's the sin of this nation. So we all need to come together and to listen and learn and pray because a lot of people are not going to accept it and believe it. But I believe that if we come together in the ministry of prayer and asking God to help us to understand it, because all the issues that we face in this country comes from the theft of the land. And I know a lot of Christians will not be able to understand it, but I think that as they engage with us, and we'd like to have some more big seminars from Dr. Peter Adam, who's a very well-respected evangelical theologian in, in this country. But we, we touched on this earlier, what it means to be part of that, to have suffered that, the theft of your land. But can you explain it to me? What, what does it mean to you? What, what legacy has that left for you? Well, the fact is that most Aboriginal people, not all of them, but the majority of Aboriginal people, have not only been moved off their land, but because of unemployment and to do with, in my state of Queensland, stolen wages mm. where people worked mm. and they never ever got their money. Mm. So how were they able to save and to buy themselves a home? Uh, it's, you know, the theft of many things like that and of families being removed and they've got no, their families, their parents have passed on. And who gets the money that their parents worked for? And, you know, right now in Queensland, this is what some of the people are trying to have access to the money that their parents worked for. I mean, just having a home, it means a lot to every person in this country. Mm. And even for those of us in ministries, we've never had proper homes. We've moved from pillar to post, even myself and other Aboriginal people in ministry. If I can just uh, just talk about the ministry part of it, most of our ministries have been very poorly supported. Many people know what it is to give overseas to overseas mission. That, that That's wonderful. Hmm. But as one of our pastors said, well, our land was taken from us 
and how were we to uh, we weren't paid for the work that many of our people have done and yet we're not able to purchase those things but many Christians in, in this country have been able to care for themselves and provide for themselves and good jobs and giving to their churches as well as giving to overseas work. I want to say, as a person who's been around for many, many years, Aboriginal ministry and even the AIM and other missions working with Aboriginal people have been very, very poorly supported financially in this country. And even for vehicles, you know, most vehicles that a lot of our people have driven have been old vehicles breaking down and you know, issues like that and that I, the Christian church doesn't understand. Ever, ever heard of it? I wonder whether there's a sort of cultural blindness there. Whether, in fact, it's too difficult to look there, because there are some truths there that, if you really analyse them, are pretty uncomfortable. Yes, it it is. But I believe that we can make it right. Well, we have look, to. Uh, there are wonderful. There are many wonderful Christians in in this country of taken up the challenge and are giving and supporting mm. and even like in regards to the theft of the land that people <clears throat> are not only returning land back mm. but are selling the land and giving the money back into Aboriginal that's that's happening mm. but not in a, a real big way but hopefully that will come on further and maybe people like Scott through Common Grace can create more of these kinds of events that people and it's not um not that we're, we're big, it's, it's the reality of this country. And I'm not a real expert uh, with all the great theologians like Dr. Peter Adam Woodrow. And, and the fact is that a lot of people would accept it from a non-Aboriginal person than someone like us talking about because they'll say, he these greedy Aboriginal people who get lots of money from the government, and we don't, and not one cent comes from the government into Aboriginal ministries. Yes. But... Um, People who've heard that story, these stories of ours, uh, are being convicted within themselves and have been uh, returning hmm. uh, resources back to our people. Our work has been so poorly resourced in this country that most of our folk, we're not able to do the work like we should be able to do it. And not only us as older people, Many of the younger ones who's trying to come into, into ministry today mm. are struggling. I wouldn't want them to go through what I've gone through over the years. I've moved from pillar to post to live in places, mm. slept on the floor because there's been <clears throat> no accommodation. I wouldn't want any younger person coming through to Aboriginal ministry to go through what myself and many others have gone through. We hope that there's better and brighter days for everybody, not only Brooke, but there are others like Brooke around around the country. Uh, I've got relatives up in Coffs Harbour. I hope it's the same for them, that there'll be a better dawning of the day for younger Aboriginal and Christian leaders. And I would appeal to the Christian church, not for a handout, listen to our stories, pray about it. I'd love to see every church in this country accept someone in ministry. Pray for them, encourage them, write letters, and support them financially. I run events in Brisbane every year, and I've been doing it for 26 years, having a dinner. And most of that money goes, and I, I don't get a cent out of it, it goes into different Aboriginal ministries around the country. Hmm. 
I'd love to see other churches do exactly the same. And that's when true reconciliation can come on board. And it's not only about money, about praying for things. And I'm so grateful to God that many of the young people that I have, non-Aboriginal Christians, uh, have just been with me for 28, 29, 30 years. And I just thank God for every one of them. And they're my friends and they're part, and I'm their Auntie Jean. If I may, it's not, um, you said not begging, and you're right. It's not begging if I take something from you and then you ask if you can have that back. That's not begging. And really, I think this issue of justice, uh, righteousness that we've talked about, it includes a notion of repairing the thing that's done wrong. And so when we come back after the next break, let's talk about repairing things. You're on Open House. We're with Auntie Jean Phillips, Scott Sanders, and also Brooke Prentice. You're on Open House, and in the studio with us, Auntie Jean Phillips and Brooke Prentice, Aboriginal leaders, uh, both from Brisbane, as it turns out. Scott Sanders is also with us, the CEO of Common Grace, which has brought together this weekend one of a number of conversations around the country about healing and justice for Aboriginal Australians. Scott, when we're talking about justice, if we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about the ability to be reconciled with God through Jesus on the cross, to be reconciled with each other, then in repentance, turning our back on the things that we were doing wrong, we need to move forward in renewal. So here we, And now we come to this point. If we're looking for a new society that's like what the kingdom of God's going to be like, I'll be looking for that to be one where justice is lived out in a shalom way. And I reckon I'll be looking for repair. And that brings to mind things like reparations or making restitution. Now, traditional thinkers might say, oh, yes, it's just the money thing again. But it's much, much broader than that. I look around and say, why aren't there Aboriginal people with me in leadership in Christian organisations, for instance? What do I need to do? to repair that's that's a reparation isn't it is that yeah look there's there's a limit to what i could say on this as someone who hasn't lived the injustice yes i've been on the the high ground so to speak within the the privilege that i was born within but uh in the relationships that i've formed over the last few years and exploring these conversations um i think any conversation around reparation starts with listening um to the hurt which has happened um and, uh, and committing to uh, the path as led by those who have experienced the injustice. Mm. So, so listening to uh, the hurt that has been caused, the damage that has been done, the broken relationship that is there, um, and committing to healing there without bringing prerequisites or uh, measuring sticks um, or a list of transactions to try and find. It's, it's about um, a blank sheet of paper which is said, tell us where we need to go from here, because in humility, we repent and we realize that we've done it wrong. But if we then come and say, and now this is what we're going to do to fix it, <laughs> we're doing the same sin that we did yeah. in the first place, which yeah, is to yeah. dictate and to govern our opinions um, and impose them upon others, uh, which is why it always comes back to relationship. Um, because Another reword, by the way. Yeah, and, and a really <laughs> important one, yeah. um, uh, because relationship leads to repentance. Relationship leads to humility. The ability to sit and listen is not, I have half an hour to, um, to talk with you. Tell me everything you can within half an hour. It's how long is it going to take? That's how long I will commit. Let, let me listen till I understand. Um, 
But, you know, sometimes um, there's a lot of talking and not a lot of listening. And I imagine it can be quite tiring saying the same things again and again and again and, and feeling like people aren't listening. And so listening is not just about hearing, but then acting and, and standing together. Um, as Brooke, you were talking about before, it's, it's that walking side by side. Um, for me, uh, reparations can't go beyond that. Um, I, I couldn't answer a question beyond that, except um, uh, it requires generosity and humility to acknowledge the wrongs of our past um, and uh, and let Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people lead us, which means when we consult, we listen um, mm. to what comes from those consultations. Mm. Um, we don't ask them to fit a criteria um, that we're comfortable with and create these parameters. Um, we listen, and we listen as long as it takes because we don't actually understand the hurt if we haven't experienced it ourselves and we need to not measure the cost but actually commit to the journey. What would it look and feel like in that kind of Australia where everyone was walking side by side? <laughs> um, it would be my dream as a 17-year-old Aboriginal girl for who knew that she was not equal in this land to actually know that she was equal, um, that uh, I didn't have to... Uh, explain who I was and my connection to this land and to this country. It would mean that uh, my people weren't living in poverty. Um, you know, I still have Australian Christians that want to argue that there's no poverty in Australia. And I say, come and take a walk with me. Uh, and that's not just in our remote communities. That's in our capital cities right here in Sydney and in Brisbane and um, Logan, Ipswich, uh, all of these cities. Uh, and... You know, absolutely, I, I love that Scott says that we have to let Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander peoples lead in this, um, but it's also about non-Aboriginal peoples creating the opportunities, creating the space to have the conversation, but then if they are actually um, wanting to take that humble and generous posture, uh, that the result that comes back after listening to us isn't, um, you know... Uh, a hundredth of what we've asked for. Uh, you know, we actually don't even know how to ask because uh, we've never been given those opportunities to ask. But, you know, if we particularly think in the Christian context, if Christian organisations, just like you said yourself, look around the table, um, whether that be in your management, in your board, even in your reception positions, and if you don't have Aboriginal peoples, can you ask the question, why are there no Aboriginal peoples part of my Christian organization. Um, and, you know, we've still got a long way to go in society, but in the church where we can talk about things like uh, reconciliation, repentance, renewal, restitution, these are biblical concepts that we should know about. Mm. And so when we know the true history, and that's where it starts, as Annie Jean said, with the true history, then non-Aboriginal peoples and Christians should be moved to want to make that restitution mm. um, because of the biblical concept of it. And one thing is for certain, it won't it won't happen if we leave it to government. It's far too important for that. And government works within strictures of procedure and precedent and law and all of those kind of good things, but also it works within a political environment, meaning really they're trying to get they're trying to maximize their popularity. Sometimes that leads them to do things that are not necessarily from a coming from a place of justice. Or listening, actually. Or listening. Yeah. And you know, Aboriginal people have recently been saying, here's a thing we could do. 
the statement from the heart is a thing we could do. Uh, for that to be so quickly dismissed was, well, I thought it was more than rude. It was, it was terrible. Yeah, it was absolutely heartbreaking. And the thing that people don't realise is the Aboriginal leaders that got to be in Uluru um, were actually picked by the government. So these were people that mm. were not grassroots people. Some of them were, a lot of them were, mm. um, but were already committed to a particular government agenda potentially. And so that's where the heartbreak is even more uh, because there are other things that we could ask for. Um, these are foundational things, but uh, th there's other things to ask for. But to have that dismissed just broke all of our hearts uh, because if we can't even get something like Uluru Statement from the heart, uh, then what hope do we actually have for um, true and proper uh Conciliation, reconciliation, truth, mm -hmm. justice, uh, mm. and love. I think Ray Minikin said once on this program, it can't be reconciliation because that's just putting it back where it was. We've got to go pre-reconciliation and that's have right. conciliation. Lovely point. And a lot of people don't realise that the original instructions from uh, King George to Arthur Philip, um, and this is direct words from the instructions, were that you are to conciliate the affections of the native peoples, mm. um, showing them kindness and amity. Hmm. Uh, so that conciliation is there in the foundations of the colonial history um, or the colonial project or hmm. the colonial injustice. In fact, um, James Cook had similar instructions. That's right. 250 years ago, I think, isn't it? He arrived in Cooktown, close enough to. Yeah, well, 22nd of August, 1770. What is now called Cooktown? He landed on Possession Island, and that's when he yeah. stuck the Union Jack in the flag and claimed the whole east coast of Australia. But with instructions to make peace, actually. That's right. Well, we've been doing that very poorly ever since. Auntie Jean, what would it feel like if we had that kind of Australia where we're all together? Well, we trust and pray that it will be a different Australia. But we've got a long, long way to go. Have, have we moved forwards or backwards? Well, I think both. Uh, there have been some things achieved, but uh, what concerns me more than anything is that it's about the church, and there are still lots of people within all denominations who've never met an Aboriginal person, have never spoken, let alone an Aboriginal Christian. And there have been times when, at conferences, I've been the only Aboriginal person that have turned up, and um, mm. some of the uh, comments that's been made to me is has been very, well, I'll say very, very sad. What do you mean by that? Asking all kinds of questions and thinking we've got the same opportunities as a lot of and supported by well, in like, fact, like, don't like they, other churches. Don't they think you get more opportunities as Aboriginal people generally? There is this notion in our popular culture that Aboriginal people get everything given to them, which is simply not true. Well, that's right. Well, it's, well, it's not true. Uh, now, a simple um, example is this. You have these big Christian conventions around the country. Mm. Uh, and I'll probably say it like Katoomba Christian Convention. Have they ever had an Aboriginal person speaking? No way. Belgrave Heights. You know, and we've had, and the sad thing in this country to me is that the Christian church in this country have missed out on all these godly people. Most of them are in heaven today. But they've never, ever heard them preach. Hmm. And yet they bought them from Africa, from India, and that's okay. But what has been their mentality towards 
many of our Aboriginal people, and some of them were very great Bible teachers. And in fact, when I worked in New South Wales many, many, many years ago, uh, the people like the the Grant family and the, the Nadens, fine Christian families in Western New South Wales, they started the convention at Cowra, and that was an Easter convention. And they were godly people, and they gave the Bible studies. In fact, many non-Aboriginal people came along to those events, but it was created and the vision came from Aboriginal people. That's just one of the areas, and I get very hurt and upset that today in 2018, these conventions have never, ever invited, and still don't invite any of our Aboriginal pastors to participate, and yet they're great Bible teachers. And there's two that I'm really thinking of in this country uh, who've been trained in theological colleges and yet have never been, and those two men pass away tomorrow. We've only got the younger ones coming on, and there's nothing against that. But these, the the older ones, their experiences and listening to them. Hmm. And in our grass tree movement, we've invited these older uncles to come along and to help with some of the Bible studies and teachings with the younger people because we want to the younger people to meet them and to learn of their experience, not only from me, but from especially from these uncles. And I'm just thinking, I won't mention their names, but two of these uncles who have been trained in theological colleges in this country. Mm. The, one of the other things that I want to say here is um, Aboriginal people in this country, there's over 100 doctors and lawyers and teachers how many theologians have been trained in the theological halls of this nation? That's another thing that has not been re- addressed in in this nation. Why haven't they come along and trained these kinds of people? And so a lot of the work not only is it been left to um, to to women, but we need. Our men folk, we often criticize our men over domestic violence and things like that, but we've never given credit or encouraged that more of our younger men can be trained as clergy in the various denominations. Um, just to add to what Annie Jean said, it's not uh, cert threes and cert fours we're talking about. It's equivalent um, uh, higher education like bachelor, master's, mm. PhD. Um, they're the levels that we're talking about. So we don't want people praising themselves up. We've had an Aboriginal person come and study here um, and it's good. We need the cert three and cert fours, but uh, like we've got so many doctors and lawyers and teachers, we can achieve at the bachelor, master's and PhD levels as well. Well, yeah, and the answer really isn't just, well, there's plenty of opportunity for everybody. We have a land of equal opportunity. Over the years, I've come to the clear understanding that you've got to provide unequal opportunity when you're trying to redress an imbalance. And so you actually need to go out and seek to help people rather than just wait for them to come to you. That's right. And I think that's how our country and often the church is operating. They're waiting for us to come. But you're exactly right. And um, we'd love non-Aboriginal Christians to really understand that. Hmm. On this program, we like to say that we, we look at life through the lens of faith and we point to hope. So, Auntie Jean, I'd like to give you the opportunity, um, please. What, what is... What is your great hope for the future? 
Well, first and foremost, I'd like to see our people come to a real knowledge and understanding of God. That's the reality that, you know, Christ died for all of us. But I also want to see real justice and equality for our people in this country. And I'd like to see Aboriginal ministries better resourced and supported so that we in Christian ministry can move out with our non-Aboriginal Christian friends, and many of them have gifts that we'd like to use in our community to work in our areas of uh, bringing equality, dealing with uh, issues of not only injustice but poverty. And as Brooke said earlier, it's not really dealt with in this country. And to seeing our people, uh, it's going to take a long, long time because we really haven't dealt adequately in in the past with all of it. And there's very few people that's doing it with us. We get a lot of knocks and criticism. Yes, we do get some encouragement, but we still get a lot of knocks and criticism. Not that that stops us, but it's hard at times. And when you haven't got the resources to be able to meet the needs and the challenges that's out there. Like hmm. simple things like so many of our kids are ending up in detention centers, have people ending up in prisons. Why is this so? Hmm. Surely to goodness that we can find other ways of dealing with it. And why are they dealing, why are they doing these things? We just don't sit down and talk about these issues. It's so easy to be locking them up and locking the children up and, um, and that doesn't have to be in in another country. It's happening right here in Australia. Mm. So I'd like to see better equality for us to be accepted, that people listen and learn and um, don't think that they know everything about Aboriginal people. There are lots of things that they need to learn about us. We've had to learn about them in the past, so they can come <laughs> and, uh, and learn ab- more about us in simple conversations. Well, it's a beautiful answer. It is one thing I've learned from listening carefully to you over the last, uh, the time that we've been together. Um, it's that if we'd ever forgotten it, we should really understand, remember, that it's certainly not government. It's not even necessarily the broader community. The power to start the change process is with Jesus on the cross and his sacrifice expressed through his people and the church, if it's not the church leading, then who is it that leads? And if the church is not hearing from its Aboriginal members, then, well, we are going backwards. That, that's a beautiful truth that I've learned from you today, Auntie Jean. Scott, where do you think hope comes from? Uh, well, my hope for the church um, in Australia is that we might be known through our actions um, as a humble, repentant people hmm. um, who acknowledge where we've got it wrong. Um, and if we stop talking long enough to listen, um, we'll see that we've done a lot of damage um, with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters and a lot of hurt. Um, but if we continue to stop talking and continue to listen, uh, we'll see that a hand of friendship is extended to us. Uh, and the, the grace and the humility I long to see in the church is embodied in our Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, Christian leaders. Uh, so I, I would love to see the church modelling that by opening its pulpits and inviting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders to speak. 
um, uh, that congregations may listen, that church, churches would allocate missions budgets to be supporting Aboriginal Christian ministries, um, because as they are supported, the impact they have on the whole church mm. um, will permeate through all that we do, um, because we are here on this land now called Australia, and um, we have so much to learn from those who God placed here. Um, uh, my journey is um, uh, of one of deconstructing my colonial theology um, mm, mm. to realize there's so much that I have to learn. Um, <laughs> and my hope is that the church will um, will deconstruct some of its own um, uh, structures that lead to injustice um, or which lead to silencing uh, and exclusion um, and, uh, and distancing of those who have so much to say and share to us, particularly those living um, in injustice, and that by our response um, we might communicate the heart of the gospel uh, is really the hope that I have um, as the church really lives out what it's called to. And Brooke, what does hope look like for you? Uh, for me, it's uh, Aboriginal peoples coming together and God is bringing us together. The Spirit is moving in this land uh, and that uh, non-Aboriginal peoples will We'll see uh, that, we'll see us, that the veil of invisibility is lifted off Aboriginal peoples in this land. Uh, for me, that's a lifting of a spiritual uh, blindness and deafness, which I think really um, goes all over Australia. And, uh, you know, it's a prayer for open ears and open eyes and open minds and open hearts. Um, it's that posture of humility, grace and generosity. Um, and it's through love and friendship and action um, that together we can embrace and celebrate all of our diversity, the diversity of humanity, of humans that now are in this land, Australia. That's our over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples. Uh, that's for all the cultures now represented here in Australia. And for people that do call themselves Australian, where is your story from? Uh, get to know your story of how you came to this land. Uh, because if that story's 230 years old, uh, we've got one that's 65,000 years. And if we can share our stories together, uh, I believe that there is hope uh, because we can honour one another, we can love one another, uh, and we can build a, a different Australia. Wow. Brooke Prentice and Scott Sanders and Auntie Jean Phillips, thank you so much for being with us this on Open House. Thanks, Susan. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. And I hope you found that a, a mind-expanding, worldview-expanding uh, conversation as I did. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.